So the reading is Habakkuk 3, chapter 3. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. The brightness was like the sun. Rays came forth from his hand where his power lay hidden. Before him went pestilence and plague followed close behind. He stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The eternal mountains were shattered. Along his ancient pathways, the everlasting hills sank low. I saw the tents of Cushion under affliction. The tent curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Or your anger against the rivers? Or your rage against the sea when you drove your horses, your chariots to victory? You brandished your naked bow. Sated were the arrows at your command. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. A torrent of water swept by. The deep gave forth its voice. The sun raised high its hands. The moon stood still in its exalted place at the light of your arrows speeding by, at the gleam of your flashing spear. In fury, you trod the earth. In anger, you trampled nations. You came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. You crushed the head of the wicked house, laying it bare from foundation to roof. You pierced with their own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter us, gloating as if ready to devour the poor who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the mighty waters. I hear, and I trem tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. To the leader with stringed instruments, hear the word of the Lord.
In C.S. Lewis's story, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, there's a part where the Pevensey children had all come through the, the wardrobe into Narnia and they were with the beavers and they were soon to be taken to Aslan. And Mr. Beaver told the children that Aslan was a lion, not just a lion, but the lion. And they're taken aback by that. And Susan asked, is he quite safe? Today, we have come to the end of our series on Habakkuk. And as Michael said earlier, Habakkuk, unlike the other prophets, spoke directly with God and asked questions. And the first was to do with what Habakkuk said about his own people and how was God going to deal with his own people. And God answers that surprisingly by saying, well, I'm going to use Babylon to, um, to punish them. And it's almost like Habakkuk sort of stepped back in, in surprise um, as he took in what God had said to him. And God knew that the um, Babylonians were fearsome and violent, that they were so proud of their strength and power that they saw it as a God to be worshipped. How then could God use them to punish Judah when they were more wicked by a long way. It didn't make sense to Habakkuk. Surely God would not just leave the Babylonians to do whatever they wanted. And God replied to Habakkuk and said that it was okay, they would get their comeuppance. There was the cycle that a kingdom would rise and fall and then the next one would rise and fall and rise and fall and so on. And God would use that cycle to punish Babylon just as Babylon had punished and destroyed Judah. But we also know that earthly kingdoms would rise and fall, but God was above them all. And so we come to chapter 3. And we're told straight up that it is a prayer of Habakkuk. And it says, according to this Shigianoth, um, which means what? Well, nobody's certain, um, but it probably is to do with music. So this is a song as well as a prayer. And this prayer begins with an introduction that um, Habakkuk addresses to God. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. So Habakkuk was looking back at what God had done in the past, particularly as he acted for his people and gave them salvation. Habakkuk reflected on what he had heard and then prayed that God would do it again. In Habakkuk's time, God's glory and power and marvellous works would again be seen and known, particularly in bringing judgment on wickedness. 
But he also knew there was another side to God. And he prays in wrath, may you remember mercy. Think of the times in the Old Testament where we see God's judgment. So in not allowing the generation who left Egypt to enter the promised land because of their lack of trust. Later, the northern kingdom, Israel, was destroyed because they had turned away from God and worshipped idols. But we also read passages like in Psalm 86 that Habakkuk would have known. Psalm 86, verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Habakkuk appealed to both parts of God's character, his wrath and his mercy. And we as Christians believe that God's wrath and mercy came together on the cross. God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus so that in his death, sin, our sin and the sin of the world was dealt with. And at the same time on the cross, God shows us mercy because we don't get what we deserve. Jesus has taken it. Wrath and mercy. And so we come to the main part of the prayer where we learn more of who God is and what he has done and therefore what he will do. Some commentators see this as a vision that was given to Habakkuk that he then speaks of. And whether it is a vision or something else, what we read is known as a theophany. And that simply means it's an appearance of God. Now, the meaning of the word might be simple, but the actual theophany is not because it's an attempt to describe God in human terms, which is always going to be difficult. There are two parts. The first from verse 3 to 7 is written about God in the third person. So God, he, him, etc. And it's to do with how God has been and acted in the past, particularly with allusions to the exodus to Sinai and the conquest of the land. And then the second part is from verses 8 to 15 and it's addressed to God in the second person, so you, yours, etc. <coughs> Presents God very much as a warrior fighting on behalf of his people. And while it also has connections to past events, there's also a sense of how God is going to act in the future as well. So the first part... It begins with reference to Taman and Mount Paran. And these were regions in the south. Mount Paran particularly was closer to Sinai. So we have allusions to the Exodus and to God meeting his people there. What we have is a description of God, what God would have appeared to be like as he advanced from the south. So we know that his splendour and his glory filled the whole creation, the heavens and the earth. It was bright like the sun, maybe so bright that you couldn't look at it. 
Rays came from his hands. And some say it is lightning. But rays of the sun or lightning, whichever it is, it's talking about power. And there's other imagery in the Old Testament about the power coming from God's hand. After the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea, they feared the Lord because they saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. And in Deuteronomy, as Moses recounted that time, he says that God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. In verse 5, we read that before him went pestilence and plague followed close behind. That can be seen to be how God acted in Egypt with the plagues that defeated Pharaoh. But it's also that plague and pestilence were considered to be gods in their own right in Canaanite religion. Here, though, they are simply tools, created tools that God uses. We go on to read that he stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Some see this as referring to Jericho, where um, the walls came down. Both that and the defeat of Egypt um, and the progress of the conquest became known in the nations and the nations feared God. Goes on to say that the mountains were shattered and the hills sank low. These were the places where the Canaanites worshipped their gods. They had their idols and altars there. And yet when Yahweh walked on his pathway, those same mountains and hills, the ones that he had created, acknowledged his presence and bowed down. So the other gods were nothing in comparison. And then to end this section In verse 7, we return to the south and we see the fear of the people of Kushan and Midian. They were idolaters, so it is no wonder that the coming of the one true God would be fearful to them. As we move into the second part, Habakkuk addressed God directly. We still see a theophany here an appearance of God, but here he's presented very much as the warrior coming to fight for his people. It begins with God's control over bodies of water. You can think of the parting of the Red Sea or the parting of the Jordan as the Israelites came into um, the Promised Land. With an empty, um, these waters are used like weapons. And 
There are then more images of war, horses and chariots and bows and many arrows, and they're used at the hand of this divine warrior fighting for his people. And creation's response to that warrior, the waters were split and then moved violently in torrents with great noise. Mountains writhed as though in pain. The sun and the moon were affected. The sun no longer um, shone. It was the moon here that dominated so that the only light came from the arrows and spears that God sent from his hand. It builds up as... As you read it, there's more emotion and it gets stronger and angrier. So in verse 12, in fury you trod the earth, in anger you trampled nations. Verse 14, you pierced with their own arrows the head of, his, of the enemy's warriors. You think, whoa. Just for a minute, let's go back to the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Is he quite safe? asked Susan. Safe, said Mr Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. The God that Habakkuk wrote of doesn't seem to be safe either. He sounds violent. But why was God like that here? Verse 13, you came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. God came against those who were oppressing his people, those who came gloating as if they were ready to devour the poor who were hiding There were times like this in the past, that is in Habakkuk's past, where the Israelites were being oppressed and they needed God to rescue them. And this is what God would also do to the Babylonians after they had defeated God's people. God would in turn destroy them. And after this vision of this mighty divine warrior coming, we hear Habakkuk's response. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my steps tremble beneath me. Habakkuk's whole body responded to this vision of God. His insides, his lips, his bones, his feet. And there was fear, which is understandable with what he would have seen and heard. But there was more than just fear. There was also hope. Habakkuk wrote, I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Habakkuk was sure that this is what God would do, so sure that he wrote about it as though it had already happened. 
He wrote about the future as though it were the past. And then come the verses which are an amazing statement of faith and trust in God. And I know that there are people here who hold on to that for themselves. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. Even if everything that could go wrong does go wrong, all at the same time. In other words, if life totally sucks, God is still there, helping us and strengthening us as though nothing is wrong. God can still be trusted and still praised. Who said anything about safe, said Mr Beaver of Aslan. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Habakkuk's God, our God, is not safe. We can't control him or put him in a box. We won't understand everything he does because he will act as he chooses. Our God is not safe, but he is good. So good that he came as a human being to live as one of us and to die on the cross to take on himself the wrath that was due for us for our sin. He showed us mercy that we do not deserve, but mercy that was given to us as a sign of love and so that we could live forever with God. It seems strange to end this book with these words, to the leader with stringed instruments. But these words are about singing and we can sing about what Habakkuk has told us about God. We can sing about God's being, about God's deeds, about God's power, about God's love, about God's goodness and about God's faithfulness. Amen.